the, the comment that I have heard the most since um, I announced in January that uh, I was retiring was um, some along the lines of, well, you're, you're way too young to retire. And then I would tell them how old that I was, and they say, oh, you're way past your prime, yeah. Yeah, you need to be retiring. So, so today I finish up uh, 43 years of preaching, and uh, it all began uh, in a, four little country churches in southeast Ohio near Gallipolis. And there I discovered this small group of warm-hearted Welshmen <laughs> who took pity on this uh, seminary student and his pregnant wife and provided us a community where I could get my feet wet in ministry. It was there that I preached perhaps one of my, one of my most creative and innovative sermons. It was called the, the Twelve Commandments. Yeah, I know, there's only ten, right? <laughs> but for some reason, I preached on the Twelve Commandments through that whole sermon, but it didn't make any difference to them. They still loved me. After graduation, I came here as your youth pastor. Was fortunate to have Howard Preston and Marvin Peterson as my, uh, as my colleagues and pastors, and they helped to teach me the ropes of what it means to, uh, to lead a large congregation. And then the bishop moved us to Central Ohio, a place near Marion, Ohio, called Green Camp. Anybody ever heard of Green Camp? Okay, well, hi, Waits, how are you? Yeah, of course, you've heard of Green Camp, and another one over here. Uh, but we had, and there's another one, a Marion County boy back there, Bob Hinklin. But uh, generally, people, Green Camp? Well, what is that? <laughs> But the people there were so loving, uh, so kind, uh, put up with my weird, new and ideas. From there, we went to, uh, to Arlington, United Methodist Church in the uh, northwest part of the state. And I must tell you, that first year, that church was not so sure that I was the right person for that congregation. And uh, every um, Monday morning, I would call up my superintendent, and I'd say, hey, are there any other churches that might be available? <laughs> but we had several uh, families take pity on us. Uh, they befriended us. And by the end of the year, we had fallen in love with that community, spent 11 years there, and it was there that we raised our two daughters. Uh, that church had such a love for Scripture uh, you can see it. They bring their Bibles with them every Sunday to church. They had just a, a, such a hunger to know God's Word. And it was there that I began to hone my skills in, in helping to lead churches through change. Our next stop was in New Albany, a town outside of Columbus that had been for years a, a one traffic light town until some wealthy investors turned it into one of the fastest growing and one of the most unique uh, communities in the state. And, and there I, I learned so much about how to welcome lots of new people into the church and into the community. But I must tell you that we met so many wonderful, godly, uh, faithful people who have had such a positive impact upon our lives. And then 20 years later, 2003, the bishop sent us back here to Anderson Hills. And as I look back upon 
the past 18 years, my heart is full of gratitude for all that God has enabled us to accomplish. We started a small group ministry. We started uh, contemporary worship services. We, we remodeled the sanctuary. Remember when it used to be baby blue in here? We modeled the, the chapel, the offices, children's wing, fellowship hall. We purchased the annex. We, we built the connection center. We raised over a million dollars to drill wells in Zambia. And we sent two different groups over there to be a part of that. We, we started WizKids tutoring. We added the Salem campus. We started Fresh Expressions. We've added live streaming of our services, so, so now you can watch us at home if you need to. And the amazing thing, that today, we are debt-free. Isn't that a miracle? I am so excited about the future of this church. The leadership transition between John and I has gone out far better than than we ever imagined that it would. Clearly, God has been guiding it. And after being here three months, John and Jennifer have been warmly welcomed into the life of this church. You have been so gracious. And they bring leadership gifts that will enable uh, this church to be successful in its mission, which is to glorify God, to make disciples of Jesus Christ who will transform the world. And while the pandemic has certainly taken its toll, we are coming out of this crisis strong and unified as a church. Our finances have never been better. How do you explain that? Our facilities are in great shape. We've added several new staff besides John, Kevin Connors, our new director of student ministries, Rob Cook as our facilities manager, and Joe Leonard, our director of technology. Folks, 43 years ago, I never dreamed that I would have on staff a director of technology. (laughs) I mean, when we started, we used mimeograph machines. Anybody remember mimeograph machines? Well, a bunch of you do. And if you wanted to put something up on the wall, what did you use? Overhead projector. That's exactly right. No church had a computer in the office, and and the internet for public use wasn't even a thing yet. When I wrote my sermons, why I used pen and paper. Why should I use a pencil? Because I had to do a lot of erasing. And when I wanted to communicate with somebody, I had basically one option. I would go and find a, a phone book. Remember those? And I would look through it, and I would pick up the phone, and I would actually dial on a rotary dial if I wanted to talk. And things have changed, haven't they? But our, thri- our small groups are thriving. Our campus ministry, Salem campus ministry is, is growing. Fresh Expressions, led by Jonathan, is meeting again for worship. Slowly people are beginning to return um, here on Sunday mornings. We've been able to reopen our, our 930 children's ministry. We've been able to reopen our 11 o'clock youth ministry. And we have greeters recruited for the entire month of June, something we haven't been able to do for the past 16 months. People are coming back. Oh, we still have challenges, absolutely. But I have no doubt that we'll figure them out. And here's why. When people ask me what's so special, what's so unique about about this church, about Anderson Hills, I tell them, 
It's the laity. It's you. This church has so many smart, talented, innovative, and risk-taking leaders. And when there's a challenge, each and every one of you, you step up to the plate. You say, God, here I am. Use me however you want. Thank you for all that you do. Well, 30 years ago, a movie came out called City Slickers. Maybe some of you remember. A guy named Mitch, played by Billy Crystal, had forgotten why he was here on earth. And he's having a midlife crisis, and so he goes on a, on a cattle drive with some friends to try to find himself. And he's alone with this gruff cowboy named Curly, who's played by Jack Palace, and he tells him this. He says, you city slickers, you come up here all with the same problem. You're all wound just too tight. He says there is just one important thing, and he does this. And Billy Crystal says, and what does that mean? He says, keep the number one thing number one. That scene had a big impact on me, and I went home that day thinking, am I doing that? Am I keeping the number one thing, number one? Well, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul is telling the Corinthian church what the number one thing is. Let's listen in as I read. And so it was with me, brothers and sisters, that when I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaim to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I came in weakness with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. Listen, verse 5 so that your faith may not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. And every time I have come to a new church, this is the scripture I have used to preach my first sermon. And so today I want to finish my last sermon using that same text. You see, Paul here is reminding the church that when he came to them, he didn't come as a great orator, or as a great intellect. In fact, just the opposite, that he came to them in weakness. He came in fear. He, he came in trembling. And his message was simple. Jesus Christ and him crucified. So easy to forget this, and lots of churches do. In 2018, our own West Ohio Conference, made up of about 1,000 churches, we lost 7,000 members. 40% of our Methodist churches did not record a single profession of faith. 32% did not celebrate a single baptism. Not one. Our founder, John Wesley, said this. He said, Methodists have nothing to do but to save souls. Man, it's so easy to forget the number one thing, isn't it? In fact, we can do that even in the midst of doing great things for God. We can forget. It's so easy to forget our purpose. It's so easy to, to forget the reason that God raised up this church 200 years ago and placed you here within its membership. And so for the last time, I just want to remind us what we're to be about. 
You see, our purpose is not made up by us. It's not decided by a council. It's not made up by a committee or even by a bishop. It has been given to us by Christ himself. In fact, it was his final words on earth. Before he ascended into heaven, he said, All authority in heaven and earth is given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have taught you. So what's our purpose? It's to go and make disciples. And why do we go? Because all authority in heaven and earth belongs to Jesus. And so if Jesus is Lord of your life, and if Jesus is Lord of the church, then we have a divine summons to go. And it's not optional. We did not choose it. It chooses us. Jesus did not tell the world to come into the church building. He told the church to go into the world. So why? Why do we do that? Why should we care enough to tell other people around us about how to get to heaven? Well, first, or 2 Corinthians chapter 4 says this, For the love of Christ compels us. That's why we do it, out of love. Our love for others and for Jesus motivates us to fulfill our mission. You know, everybody matters to God, amen? Everybody matters to God. God has never made a person that he doesn't love, amen? God has made some people that I don't love, and God has made some people that I don't even like, but God loves them all, amen? <laughs> God loves them. And the most despicable person that you can imagine is still loved by God. And because God cares, you and I, we must care as well. You see, people are changed by love. Society is changed one life at a time. God has put, put specific people in your life that he expects you to share the good news with. And if you are the only Christian that some people know, and if you don't tell them, well, who will? See, if one of my kids were in a burning building, I wouldn't care how hot the fire was. I'd go in and rescue them. I wouldn't care if I got hurt. I wouldn't care if people called me crazy for doing that. I'd still go in. I'd, I'd go in. I'd grab my child. I'd bring them out. And people might say, well, how brave you are. No, I wasn't brave and I wasn't crazy. It's love. And I think when we finally love our, our friends enough, when we finally love our neighbors enough, when we finally love our family members enough, we'll have the courage to tell them about how God has changed our life. I mean, it's not like we're trying to sell them swampland in Florida. It's not like we're trying to sell them a bridge in, in Brooklyn, whatever metaphor you want to use. We have the best news in the world, folks. We've got forgiveness of the past. We have power and purpose in the present. We have a home in heaven for the future. You can't find a better deal than that. So love is our motivation. That's why we do it. And here's how we do it. First of all, we simply live it. Now, that's a huge responsibility, isn't it? I mean, if someone would say, you know, I've seen Mark Rowland, I've seen how he lives his life, and that that's what it means to be a Christian, well, I don't want anything to do with it. Well, how would I explain that to God when I got there? But people are watching the way we live. Your boss, your neighbors, your employees, your relatives, your children, they're watching. They're watching our words. They're watching our actions and how we treat others, and that's a... That's an awesome and terrible responsibility. And I haven't always done a good job. There's many times when I've blown it, when I've made mistakes. But I just want to be honest. 
and transparent. Ask for forgiveness. I want to be able to admit my mistakes. Why hide it? Everybody knows anyhow. I think it's becoming more and more difficult to talk to people about matters of faith. I, I know people, and, and so do you, who just don't want to hear anything about God. And so all I can do to witness to them is to live my life in such a way that it honors God. Methodist author Maxie Dunham puts it this way. He says, I'm coming to believe about fellowship and belonging, that a congregation in our day is to be an evangelist in the world, showing them what they are missing. What I mean is that, when pe- what, that what goes on in a congregation draws people to Christ. That relationships are so healthy, relationships are, are so attractive that those outside the kingdom want to become a disciple of Christ, just like the folks in the church. And that's exactly what I see here at Anderson Hills almost every Sunday. That when people walk in, they experience this as a caring and loving and warm and winsome place, and they want to be a part of it. And they may not have their theology altogether. They may not even be yet convinced of the claims of Christ. But they see something that is so compelling in our lives that they want to be a part of it. And I know this is true because these visitors tell me this almost every Sunday. Every Sunday morning when I walk into this building, I pray for that. I walk through the hallways before anybody gets here, praying for the presence of the Holy Spirit to be so thick, to be so evident that when visitors walk into our building, they will feel the presence of God and they will have an experience of the love of God. In fact, that's what was happening in the early church. Uh, Luke records it in, in, in a snapshot in Acts chapter 2. He says, They devote themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. And all the believers were together and had everything in common. Listen, they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And Luke ends by saying this, the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. You see what was happening? These early Jesus' people were gathering into a community of faith, hearing the apostolic teaching, developing deep and an intimate relationship, fellowship, where they cared for each other through the ups and downs of life. There was a, a sense of the supernatural as, as signs and wonders were performed and people were healed. They, they sold their belongings and they gave to those who were in need. Amazing. And worship was was at the heart of this Jesus movement. Luke records that they were in the temple daily praising and thanking God in worship. And they had all the favor of the community such that people were coming to faith daily. People looked at the love the Christians had and they wanted to be a part of it. You see, the way we live our lives can make an eternal difference. Not only must we live our faith, we also have to share our faith. 
Colossians 4 verse 5 says, Make the most of your chances to tell others the good news. You've heard it say, walk the talk. Well, Paul is saying we also have to talk the walk. And I think one of the most compelling ways that we do that is to simply share our own story of faith, what God has done in your life. There's this marvelous story in John chapter 9. A man born blind encounters Jesus, and he is supernaturally healed of his blindness. Now, the religious leaders, they don't like this. They begin to interrogate the man. They want him to denounce Jesus and to call him a fraud, but he won't do it. He knows that Jesus has forever changed his life. And then they really begin to put the pressure upon him until finally he simply says, whether or not Jesus is a sinner, I do not know. I do not have answers to all of your theology questions, but this one thing I do know, that once I was blind, but now I... You got it. They have no reply. How do you answer that? I saw the power of that first time back in college. My pastor invited me to go along with him on a lay witness mission with about a half a dozen other college students. We loaded up in his Volkswagen van and we left for the weekend. I don't even recall the church. I, I think maybe the town was Zanesville, but I'm not sure I even have that right. But, but every night at that church we would, we would sing and pray and share our stories unrehearsed, unrefined, oftentimes with fear and trembling, and yet somehow God used our little stories to make an eternal difference in the lives of some of those folks. I saw firsthand the power of sharing our faith. Now maybe you're thinking, Pastor, I don't have a story to tell. Well, you do. If you're a Christ follower, you have a story. You think, yeah, but nobody would like to to hear my story. It's really not that interesting. Now, if I had an experience like the blind man, well, then I could write a book about it, and, and I could go on television, and I could speak around the globe telling them about my what, what happened to me. But honestly, I, I've met so few, few people who have had such an experience. Besides, how many of us could relate to that? You see, the reason we share our story is that, that the other person becomes aware of what God has done for them. And they begin to think, you know, if God can do that for them, maybe God can do that for me. If it's true for you, maybe it can be true for me as well. Here's what I think. That people are dying to hear authentic stories of personal and spiritual experiences of longing to find meaning in life, stories of hope in the midst of distress where God enabled you to hold fast in spite of evidence to the contrary. They want to know that they are not alone in the universe, that there is a God who will be with them in their pain and in their joy. What would happen if we began praying for those people that God has brought into our life? Or if we began to look for opportunities to share a moment of faith with them? What if we told them simply what God has done in our life? One person telling another person how to find God. Our friends, let's never forget why we exist. Let's always keep that number one thing, number one. 
Well, Anderson Hills has become the church of my dreams. And I believe God has even bigger dreams for you as John takes his place as our new leader. I'm so very, very grateful that God has placed us here to serve with you for so many years. Thank you so very, very much for all of your cards and your kind words and your, and your well wishes. We will never forget our 18 years here with you. We love you so very much.